question. That you know, we, we all know what that was, right? And that's the funny thing is that we all we're all like, I do, but I don't want to act like I don't. <laughs> I want to be the real Christian here, right? So, so, so Oprah does this thing called you know, her favorite things, and and then she surprises them. And usually, the people who you know, she has a humanitarian bent to it. Like you know, it's not just first come, first serve, but people you know, um, they'll write in and then they'll talk about all the good things they've done for people, and then they choose worthy people who should you know, get, get blessed. Uh, and the way they get blessed is obviously by material possessions. And so the last one, in fact, she gave a, a Volkswagen concept car that hasn't even been made yet. It's not even, it's not even fully designed yet. It's a 2012, I think. Is that the 2000, it's going to be the 2012 edition. Hey, y'all, this is 2010. <laughs> All right. So we know Oprah got cheese. You can do that. But, um, but you know, the people jumping around and yelling and screaming like that, um, it makes, it makes me wonder, like, so what do, we, what do we consider as the American dream? In fact, let me, let's, let's, let's talk through this. What do we consider as the American dream? Um, let's start with life. Let's start with um, we're born. What does the world tell you and me? And I want you guys to throw some stuff out. What's success? Let's start from birth. You have a kid. What's success? How about this? I'm sorry. Let's start. What's success for that kid? Pedigree. So, so, okay, so you want this kid to be able to say, look, I came from this stuff, right? I, that the kid can find an identity in their family. That's fair. Okay, pedigree. So write these things out. Okay, I'm listening. Education. Education. Okay. Um, I'm going to pause that because that's huge. I'm going to pause right there because that's going to be in a moment. So you're a baby, all right? I want to I get more, I want to get a little more shallow. All right? You, you, I'm sorry? You don't want to be ugly. Let's go, all right? You, now, everybody think, no, I just want to have a healthy baby. And I thought that, too, until my, my girl got pregnant. And I was trying to be spiritual about it until, like, month seven. And then my prayers started changing a little bit. I was like, okay, the baby's about to come. Hey, Jesus, can you make sure the baby's kind of cute? All right, maybe, that was it. maybe I'm the only unbeliever. I don't know. That's, that's what I did. All right? Cute baby. Thank you, Chrissy. Stepping out in faith, bro. Cute baby. Somebody a real Christian up here. Cute. You want your baby to be cute? Come on. You want to, you, now y'all know that's true. You want your baby to be one of the first walking, right? My kids are the most unambitious kids I've ever seen in my life. I'm telling you, at month 15, 16, I remember literally like just like, like pushing Joel, like, dude, do something. Like, he just would not get up and walk. And what, it was a Lauren baby who we would like, we would like entice her with like fruit and candies. She would stand up. And then she wouldn't do nothing. We like, well, but we pulled candy out. She'd walk all the way from the kitchen to the other door. As soon as we no candy, she'd fly back down. It's crazy. I'm like, I got people watching, baby. I need you to get up and walk. I'm the pastor. Okay, what else? Right? Okay, had a kid now walking. Started a church plant. So, okay, walking, um, talking, right? And you know, you know, it's funny. We all want to be godly, right? But you know, you get you get other parents. Oh, my daughter's so smart. Oh, she's just talking. She's, oh, she's already counting. My daughter's counting. Oh, your daughter's counting? My, my daughter's counting, and she does ABCs. You know, and we do that whole thing, right? So, so you want, right? You want, so there's, I would say, motor skills. Right? All these different skill sets started to come that your kid is the one that does it the earliest. There's great identity in that, right? And the world tells us the lie that our identity should be in that, that it's kind of, it's okay. You know, your kid is just kind of more special if it happens. 
See that? See the lie there? So motor skills. Um, okay, now, they're, now they can go to school. My man John said education, huge, right? Okay, what else, though? They're in school. What else do we want? What else do we want? What else does the world tell us is successful for that kid? Well, I heard clothes. He said name brand clothes. Activities. Okay, so we got clothes. So in education, they're, they're like, what, what age is this? Well, I ought to say all the way to college. Well, I don't think that ever ends. So you got clothes, name brand. If you in the hood, you can't be walking up in here. I mean, when I was younger, if you had shoes that weren't nice, they called them buddies. Remember that? You remember buddies, y'all? Right? So you, you didn't want to be the, the kid with the buddies. Right? So you got clothes. You got activities. Right? What do we do? We, we say you are of worth if you play hockey and soccer and football, Cheerleader. cheerleaders, right? You're smart, you, basketball. So all these are where we find our identity, right? Your kid needs to not just play sports, but, man, you really find your identity when your kid is good at sports. Now look how cool you are because your kid plays good sports. Let's keep going. Now what? Wait a minute. Come on. It can't, you can't just be playing sports. You've got to be popular. And I tell you, if you kids could, I beg that you would hear the adults in this room. And I remember they used to tell me, and I thought, shut up, old people. You don't know what you're talking about. But now I'm that old guy, so I'm going to tell you. Your popularity means absolutely nothing when you get older. I'm telling you the truth. I'm just telling you. I mean, when you, you I sit back and think now how stupid I was. I, I mean, no one cares what I did in high school. No one cares what you will do in high school. I'm telling you. You know what? All the nerds are rich. But you, but you play football in high school. Okay. All right. Well, let me be the brother with the four-eye glasses, you know, calling the shots. Okay, so clothes, activities, popularity. Lee, I said popularity. You got to be something, right? Popularity. <laughs> Pop you, lay pop you, pop you, <laughs> popularity, spelling, spelling, there's actually another thing, no, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't here at DPS, so I can't blame it on them, what else, fam, good grades, right, so if, you, if you're not popular, if you're not making good grades, so the world tells you something's wrong with you, what else? Beauty. So beauty. Okay. All right. So you, if, you're not, if you're not skinny, if you're not really cute, you don't got the good clothes, if your hair isn't done, I mean, that's the thing that just breaks my heart in this community, how we mask, I'm sorry, and the people you hang with, right? So you got to be with the in crowd, in crowd. It just breaks my heart that people in our community, it's, just, it's all over the world, but specifically where we serve here, how you can Dress yourself in all this stuff, and inside you are totally, there's a hole in your heart so big a Mack truck could drive through it. But you'll wear Jordans, and I watched all these broke women with their nails done, and they have absolutely nothing. Don't clap. You might be one of them. No, I'm, I'm, te- I'm going to keep it real. You know, you're doing your hair, you're doing all this stuff to mask something that only Jesus can help you with. So beauty is huge in our community, right? You, you, you put it all together, and you broke, and you have nothing, and your kids have nothing, but everybody's walking around like they got everything. Why? 
Why are you doing it? Why are you doing that? Why are you making sure you have a nice state and all these things? Because the world has lied to you and you've bought into the lie. You've bought into the lie. That these things give you worth. What else? We ain't even made it out of college yet. We're still in high school. So you've got to have a boyfriend or girlfriend, to, especially in high school and college, right? So you've got to be dating. I'm sorry? You know <laughs> so you got dating. You need a car. For the brothers, you've got to have a car. I was amazed. I didn't care what my car looked like as long as I was driving, man. What else? Okay, now you, now, now you go to college, right? What's interesting, our world's so crazy, you can go to college, but it doesn't stop there. There's always a hole drawing more. They need more. So it can't be just a college. It has to be a really good school. Or something's wrong with you. Oh, that's the school you got in? Okay. I feel bad for you. Right? So we all walk around here, and we, we can do it. As, as sold-out believers, we can sort of try to trump you and be an elitist. I went to this school. I went to that school. As if God sees worth in that. He doesn't care what school you went to. So you got, so you got education, so you get in college. Now what? Your major. Right? So now your career. So, you, so how many of us, I remember Sarah always said, you know, she chose accounting. Well, really why she chose accounting? Because they made some money. How many of us really chooses our major based on our passion? Or do you choose it because you're going to make some loot one day? Majors. Now you've got to graduate with honors. You've got to do very well, right? So now, what does the world tell you? So now you've graduated from school. Now what, is the, what, what does the world tell you? What's success? You better, be you better have a honey somewhere, dating or something. And, and that's why I applaud some of our single brothers in this body who they're not dating right now and they're just trusting the Lord and they're finding identity and, like, try, you know, and, they, and they know they want to date, but they're just trying to trust the Lord. And I just, I just think it's awesome. I really do. Because the world says something totally different. The world tells you there's something wrong, but it's a lie. But you know what else? You, gotta, you graduate from college. Well, now you have to find a nice place to live, right? You've got to get the big house, big house, car. And then this, let's be really clear here. Let's be really clear. None of these things are bad in themselves, Okay, let's be really clear here. It's, it's that we find our identity in these things. If you got $5 million and the Lord wants you, you, you feel free to have an infinity truck, that's between you and Jesus. Don't kiss the truck. Don't idolize the stuff. That's the whole point of the gospel. God is, God's created everything. He's not saying you shouldn't have. He's saying you shouldn't worship. That your identity shouldn't be in this stuff. That all that stuff should leave you tomorrow and you should still be passionately following Jesus like he was on Tuesday when he was blessing you. Okay, so you, 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 so now you got to go to, but you can't just, okay, how many people say, yeah, the world tells me I graduated from U of M, now I'm supposed to move to Detroit. No, wrong. <laughs> world tells you, you know, you're supposed to move to Seattle. In Portland, in Boston, in New York, 
Colorado. North That's my girl. North Carolina. Okay? All these things. Now, again, not bad in themselves at all. The question is, who are we listening to? Who are we listening to? Okay, so you move somewhere. Now, what does the world tell you? Got to get married. Right? Big, nice job. Got to get married. <laughs> Huge ring. Why? Because now look, look what I did, right? You see the lies? Are you with me, family? I want us to get convicted about the lies. I want us to understand when you leave here and we start our break, our little short break, the world is going to be telling you that is, that is the truth. Jumping around for cars. And I don't want us to buy it. This time is one of the most sacred times of our calendar as, as sold out people for Jesus. Because the part is about the incarnation. It's not about this stuff. These are lies. You get, you get married, right? The world tells you you, you got to get married. You got to have nice kids. And then we start repeating the cycle. Big house. Right? But here's the funny thing. So you get the nice kids, but now your identity is in making sure that your kids are doing all these things too. If, they, if, you, if you're balling, you big time, and your kid's a jerk, now you still feel bad. It never ends. Something's always reminding you that we're falling. So then your kid goes off. You did all this good stuff. You waited to marriage for a sec. Sex. He's promis- you know, super prom- uh, just promiscuous all, all over the place, and, and he's having sex, and he's drunk. Now you're like, man, I'm a failure. Really? But then, wait, your kids do well, but now where's your identity? As an old man, it doesn't even stop. What you do with old people? You're supposed to travel and have nice, good grandkids. Right? I'm just saying this is what the world is telling us, that from the day you're born to the day we die, this is what we're supposed to be about. And the the scary thing for me, in my heart, as I continue to try to walk with the Lord, is I, I am like, I mean, I buy this sometimes. And you're buying it too. And God wants to hold us accountable. The reason why we come here on Sundays, the reason why we connect in our community, is so we can remind each other that we are not crazy. These are lies, and Jesus is the truth. Lies. Although, although dressy, although nice. So what we're going to talk about is... Uh, I want to spend some time just talking about the incarnation. Because the world tells us that this is true, and we even see, and I, I, think, I think the Christmas season is very interesting, family, because you would think, okay, tr- truly, the, the treasure of Jesus is hidden uh, all throughout our world, right? The world continually screams out at you and me to believe and trust in something else. But what's so interesting, look how silly Satan is. It's so clear. He, then he takes you have the Christmas season. This is where we're supposed to focus on Jesus, and I think this is where the noise is the loudest. This is where you get the biggest discounts. This is where the stores are open later. This is when you go, you, you, all, the, all the channels just tell you, they don't say anything about Jesus anymore. It's happy holidays. Right? 
where the, the, the noise is, is huge right now for you and me to forget why we're doing what we're doing. So the question is, are we going to buy into it? Are we going to believe these lies? Are we going to believe the American dream? Or are we really going to trust and believe in God's reality? Uh, what the doctrine of the, um, the incarnation is, is, is awesome. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay out some things real quick uh, just for us to look at. And again, I can't, obviously for the sake of time, I won't be able to go super in-depth on incarnation. But I want us to think of a few points uh, that hopefully will remind us and spur us on to allow uh, this time to be a time where we begin to cultivate a heart of worship. Billy. Good question. I'm glad you asked. All right. So incarnation. I didn't even set that up. That was Holy Spirit. Uh, I think I paid you like five dollars or something. So incarnation, right? Uh, you have incarnation. What, what does that mean? So incarnation, carne. You know, when you if you go overseas, you know, uh, you know chicken con carne, that kind of thing, or you know, a beef carne flesh. Right, that's where you get the. I mean, that's where you get the uh, the, the word uh, uh, sarx. Sarx is the Greek word for this flesh. Uh, carne is a, is a is a Latin word which means like meat. So, so the incarnation is basically God coming in meat. <laughs> All right, I know, I know, I didn't write it. Uh, right, it's God coming in flesh. Uh, what I want, so that's that's what it means. What I want to uh, do though is I want to talk about. The plan, on, the plan of the incarnation real quick. I want us to understand, hopefully my heart is that we would, we would be able to leave, and as we're wrestling, as you're talking with individuals, you will be able to talk uh, hopefully more uh, intelligent about the incarnation uh, than you have been and be able to understand and be able to wrestle what, what, what does it mean, uh, Jesus, God coming in flesh. Now, uh, let's, start with, let's start with the plan of the incarnation, okay? And please, oh, if you're new, Please ask questions. That is not a cultural pie at all. Our heart here is for us to learn more about Jesus and to allow it to inform our worship. Not to get smarter, but to inform our worship. If you need Bibles to check what I'm saying, making sure I'm not just I'm pulling the wool over your eyes and deep inside some weird Mormon or something, there's Bibles coming down the aisles. We would love to give you a Bible. Uh, you can uh, check the text yourself. And uh, we're going to jump right in. So you look at um, Genesis 3.15. We're going to begin there. It's uh, what they call in, in, in seminary circles the Proto-Euangelian, Euangelian gospel, first gospel. Um, more uh, Latin people say Proto-Evangelium. Uh, what we're talking about here, actually, real, real quick, I want to read that. I thought that was up there. Let me read that to you real quick. Genesis 3.15, family. My Bible, this is hilarious. I got four kids. My, my kid ripped that page out of my Bible. Give me your Bible, girl. Welcome to Mac Ave. So, I gave her my Bible. She can read it now. <laughs> Sorry, sis. All right, uh, Genesis 3. Man, you ain't playing, girl. Goodness gracious. Hey, uh, who's, whoever's in Chanel's Mac group for Christmas, get her a smaller Bible. 
All right. Um, Genesis. <laughs> We're going to switch because this is crazy. Uh, 3.15, guys. You ready? Ready? So a very famous passage, again, this is where they would say the, the first gospel, uh, the first good news of Proto-Euangelion, uh, 3.15. Um, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Okay, uh, notice, notice what he says here. He says, so I, God, will put enmity between you, you being Satan, and the woman, right, and between your offspring, Satan's offspring, and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Uh, it's very interesting. When you look at the genealogy, I mean, it's almost like a genealogical reading, uh, Genesis being genealogy. This is very interesting when he talks about this to, um, uh, to the man and woman, God. Notice here, he doesn't mention that there's a guy in the picture. You notice that? I propose because she's going to be a virgin. Um, but he's talking specifically to the woman and what's going to happen through this woman and how, here you go, and how basically... Satan is going to come, and he's going to, he's going to injure Jesus, uh, but, but eventually Jesus is going to destroy Satan and evil. Okay, the first gospel. But notice there again, so what you have here is you have uh, uh, the first stance where it's already giving you this picture of what God is going to do in redemptive history, how he's going to use this woman uh, to, to bring about uh, recreation. And then he comes along, he comes along, oh, sorry guys. All right, then you have Isaiah 14. So the first thing we find out is that there is a woman. Um, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Okay, so so I guess my suspicions, if I'm like reading the text and I'm doing systematic theology, I'm just going through the text and trying to understand what the Bible is saying about a particular subject. That's what systematic theology is, is I realize, oh, so... I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty comfortable in saying he's, that was the first gospel. There is this woman we obviously see in, in Genesis 3:15 who is going to uh, be the, the bearer of this boy, this baby, who is going to eventually destroy Satan and evil and bring recreation uh, to all of God's creation. Okay, But also we also see that this baby, this lady is going to be a virgin. So we have a lady who's going to be a virgin, Isaiah 7, right? And in Micah 5, 2, we have, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times, uh, written about 700 B.C., okay, 700 years before the birth of our Savior. And, and I wish I can go into, I think what would be really cool for you guys in your own personal time is to really do a study and just understand this relationship of, of Joseph and Mary and, and, and just to, and. And how that whole thing worked out, this whole virgin and, and her having a baby and what that meant in the first century is a very fascinating study uh, just for your own uh, time. It would be awesome. But what we see here is we have this lady who's going to be a virgin um, who's going to be where this baby is going to be born in Bethlehem. Okay? Powerful stuff. Why? Because um, I believe in Matthew, I want to say Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, um, it talks about, looking for us, the census, it talks about a census that is going to happen uh, for, maybe go, maybe go to, 
I'm sorry, um, it's in actually Luke chapter 2 family. There's a census, I'll read it to you. In verse, verses one, uh, I'll read verses 1 through 3. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Okay, This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. Okay, So Joseph also went up from, Gal- from, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. So his ancestor is David. At this time, he is hanging out in Nazareth in Galilee, and then he gets a census call to have to go to Bethlehem so they can count the people of knowing like what, what the count of the Israelites are. Are you, are you seeing that, how, how, how deep and sovereign that is? Okay. So he has to go while his honey's pregnant. They go to Bethlehem for that short time, and during that time, she has a baby in Bethlehem, which fulfilled a prophecy 700 years ago. You see that? It wasn't like they were just in Bethlehem. They were somewhere else. And a decree just happened to happen, so they would have to travel to be counted, just right during the time where she's about to have a baby, so that the, so that the prophecy could be fulfilled that that baby who would save the whole world would be born in Bethlehem so that God would not be a liar. Let's continue on. So what we have? We have... Genesis 3 telling us a woman. We see Isaiah telling us a woman who <coughs> is a virgin. Uh, and this virgin will have a baby in Bethlehem. And then finally, uh-oh. Sorry, fam. I'll just go through this then. It's my, this is why I hate this thing. So uh, the plan of incarnation. We have a woman who is a virgin, gives birth in Bethlehem. But then if you check out Malachi 3.1, 3, it talks about the destruction of the temple. It talks about... Uh, Jesus, is, do you see that slide? I would love to take them to that verse. Okay, it says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. This is Malachi 3.1. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So it's talking about this savior. So you have this woman who is, go, who is a virgin who's going to have this baby in Bethlehem, and this baby is going to come into his temple. But wait a minute. When was the temple destroyed? Right? 70 A.D. Okay? So that means whoever this person is going to be, they're going to have to do it before 70 A.D., which obviously fits Jesus because he's before 70 A.D. And so can you take us to that, that, that verse? I mean, that... That slide, please. So, so what we have here, guys, is we have the plan of the incarnation being God saying that there's going to be a woman who is a virgin who will give birth in Bethlehem before destruction of the temple, and it is absolutely perfect. He does it. So, so when you, if you're talking with some individuals, you can write those verses down, or you're talking about the incarnation, please um, think through that, understand, receive that, build conviction that, man, God had this plan, and he just, in the most perfect way only God can do, allowed to be fulfilled to the T. And there's actually way, there's actually many more prophecies that I can go into, but we didn't have enough time. I just wanted to go through some, some big ones, some major ones, uh, to just whet our appetite for you in your own time to go back and see what else the Lord has said um, in times past that he was able to fulfill through the gospel, through Jesus himself. Um, so that's the plan of incarnation. Now, uh, the, the question now is, uh, is why did he come? Okay, any questions so far? Okay, so now the question is, uh, yes, sir. Great question. Well, 
um, there's a ton of Jews, actually, Messianic Jews, who actually believe in the cross. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I believe that, obviously, it's clear as day. Um, and that, I think that question could be asked whenever we share our faith with anybody in the world. Uh, the Holy Spirit has to give people um, revelation of the reality that you don't need to wait for the Savior. The Savior is here. Um, so, so when I see Jews loving Jesus and Jews not loving Jesus, uh, you know, I kind of... I kind of just feel bad, you know, and pray that the Lord would do his thing. Good question. I don't have the answer. So I just I chalk that up to the sovereignty of God. Um, if someone else has a you please feel free to give insight. I don't think there's an answer other than God's sovereign hand, which which hopefully reminds me of God's grace. There's people way more smarter than me and cooler and everything, and they don't know Jesus, and the Lord has allowed me to know Christ. That makes me know that like, it wasn't about me and what I brought to the table. It was about him being really gracious to reveal himself to me and that the gospel was never discovered but revealed. We always talk about that. It's one of the major, major tenets in this body. If you're at MacAv, you have not discovered Jesus. He found you. Um, okay, so why did God come? Now, this gets a... Very, very interesting passage. I mean, we're very familiar with this passage in, in Philippians. I'm going to read through it a little bit. I'm going to talk about a few things. Uh, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking, on, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So I think the, the good question, obviously, we, we saw the plan of the incarnation. So now we're talking about, so why did God come? And I want to pause there for a moment just to discuss, um, in layman's term, what he's talking about here. And that's the sense of accommodation. Uh, one thing that I want to make sure we understand is that when he says he didn't, he didn't count equality of God to be grasped, his point is like, look, I didn't have to try and grab at, at being equal with God. I didn't have to grab at, at deity because I already possessed it. You follow me? The, the, see, see, what, see, the myth is, is either, either he, he um, was, was God, right, or he was man. And, and the mystery is that he was fully God and fully man. And that he didn't have to grab at deity as if he didn't possess it. He's saying right here, I was, I'm God. You know, I didn't have to go, go make me, give me more stuff, God. I am God, and I chose uh, to humble myself. And the way I look at that family is when you think, I, I, just, I see it in the sense of accommodation. Um, some great historians even use that word a lot. The sense of what God did was he accommodated us. Okay, so that's, so that's one of the reasons why he came, is to accommodate us. And, and, I, and I think about it from a sense of a parent or even, um, I think of my brother. I'll, I'll use both examples real quick. Like a parent, I think the most humbling thing for me is how much you have to, you have to die to self and you have to accommodate your kids, right? And I, and I see it more with moms. Uh, my wife, you know, uh, she gets up. Uh, for the last, I don't know how long now, you know, four or five in the morning. Um, and not to mention when you're a newborn, you're getting up three, three, two or three times in the morning uh, to feed the baby. You know, to uh, my wife, you know, she goes around um, Costco with four kids. You know, I, I guarantee you she has to do that a little differently than when being her by herself. You know, she has to be really creative with having people in carts and hanging on wheels and it's all kind of crazy stuff, right? Um, you know, we, we had to... Um, we had to get a car, and our car had to, had, to, had to reveal the fact that we had a big family, right? So we couldn't get, you know, a crossfire, right? We have a van, right, because we have six people in our family. Uh, um, I mean, you, you think of all the things. I mean, how you eat the food we make uh, is different because we have young children, 
right? Um, so we make food that hopefully can accommodate our kids. Um, the way our house is positioned, what, what we have in our home, um, what we even what we watch on TV, everything accommodates um, our kids to make sure that we're treating them in a way that's honorable to the Lord. Right, family? Now, we could do all these other things, but we, we, we go down to their level, right? When you play, if I play with my sons, I don't play from here and say, I'm playing with you. I get down and I rode my motorbike just like him, right? Yesterday I had my motorcycle. He said, you want to play, Daddy? Yeah, sure, I want to play, buddy. Well, here's your motorcycle, Daddy. You ready? And he goes off into the, the dining room, and here I am behind him with my little motorcycle. And, and he tells me, well, actually, Daddy, you don't, it's, your motorcycle's not making noise. You've got to push down hard and make it make noise, you know. And I didn't go, I know that, son, and I'm, you know, no. He's four. I accommodate my son, and I get down, and I listen to my son, and I allow him to enjoy playing with Daddy. That's what Jesus did. He accommodated you and me. Fully God. He deserved triumph. He deserved notoriety. And he took our pain. He came down lowly. And that's the beauty of the incarnation, family. Think about it. This is the king of the universe, family. The king of the universe absolutely needs nothing from you or me. And what brought, it, what brought it clear to me is when I look at my wife and when she had our first kids, I thought, really? Jesus came like that? Frail? Couldn't talk? No teeth? Totally helpless? Cold? He needed someone to feed him? To teach him how to use the bathroom? He came fragile? The God of the universe? Why? Because of love. Because he loves us and he's serious about his glory. It says, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. I, I, that's a cool word, but man, I wish they would use the word slave. Because the concept there is bond servant, a slave. He came down and was ridiculed. I mean, think about Jesus' life on earth. He comes down and he doesn't say, look, I'm, I'm Jesus. I could do anything right now. I don't, he was broke and poor. There's times when he didn't have a place to lay his head, the Bible says. He was raising support to do his ministry. People supported him. I live a hundred times more comfortable than Jesus ever did in his best day. And he created me. Say he became a slave for you and me. It says in verse 8, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. Guys, when I look at understanding the noise of the world, and you hear the noise, what they're trying to do to you and me is they're trying to bury this treasure so we can't hear its voice, so we forget the incarnation, so we think it's boring, and we, and we go and we read and we try to think, well, okay, I know I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to really enjoy the incarnation, and we, and we try to self-help our way through 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 a, a, a spiritual affection 
And God is saying, no. God is saying, we shouldn't try to have to make ourselves enjoy the incarnation. We need to figure out and ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand reality from fakeness. And God is saying, use this time to realize who we have in Jesus. There is nothing, nothing like Jesus. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, the Bible says. The incarnation family, as I look at the end of, of Philippians 2, is really about a mighty king who becomes a slave and makes his enemies his friends. That's what he's done. And every year, the world wants you to forget about that, but God wants you to remember it anew. That's what this time is about. Remembering anew that, let's look at the picture, that you and I, that we, like our parents, we, we desire to want to be God, and God, God could have destroyed us all. And in his mercy, in his love, what he did was he came as a great missionary, okay? Then what he did was he took the substitute, he took the payment that we deserved, all of our sin, all of our pain, lived a life of, of ridicule, and spat on for us, dies on the cross, because of our murdered hands, we, we murdered our Savior, dies on the cross because of murder to save you and me, to save the people who murdered him. Then he rises from the dead triumphantly to say, guess what? I'm so good. You and I falling off the creative path, the reason why we created, and then because of the cross and resurrection, and most importantly, the incarnation, for all, all that to happen, the incarnation, the cross and the resurrection, he says, now I'm giving you an opportunity to relive your life as a true human again. That you and I now get to retell that story as his missionaries, as he was our great missionary, to come into culture lowly and frail, for us. And now we, which you know is a huge, again, infrastructural, um, girded thinking in that gap, we are now God's missionaries as he has made us alive in Christ to tell that story. The incarnation, family, the incarnation is about worship and stewardship. It's about worshiping a king, and don't, don't miss this. Now, you can, you can know Jesus is your king or is a king, right? Herod knew he was a king. But the shepherds and the magi knew he was their king. Okay? Worship. The incarnation is about worshiping your king, worshiping our, our murdered, resurrected Savior, and then, out of worship, him recreating us, 
now being a steward of that story. That's what the incarnation is about, family. We know what incarnation means. We've seen the plan, the beautiful plan of God, although the cliff notes. We've given a small nutshell of why he came. And now God has said, hey, this is your response. Worship and stewardship. Worship and stewardship. Man, look what he's done. Look what he's done in us. Hey, let me give you guys a... Real quick, um, some practical ways. What do we do? Like, what are some practical ways uh, toward a gospel-centered Christmas break? Right. Again, under grace. This is these are not rules, right? We we are motivated by God's grace. This is about okay. So Lord, those things are true. Well, what does it look like? I go back home. I go you know to New York. You know, I got, got cats you know, going to Washington, Cali. You know, we travel and see family. We kick it. We eat all the pies and stuff. You know how it is. And all of a sudden, you know, you didn't read the Bible in like a week. I get it. We, we all are there. The question is, like, what is it like for us to be intentional about saying, Lord, I don't want to have these other little things creep in to my worship to you. And remember why, why we do life. Cultivate a prayer life. You know, during this time, ask the Lord, like, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you just allow me to enjoy talking to you? Lord, continue to cultivate in my heart a life of, of wanting to talk to God. If you are a guy in here and you have a girlfriend or you're married, you should be leading the charge in your family. If your family has a whacked out prayer life, then we are held accountable. We need to be praying with our spouses and our kids, and we need to be cultivating a life where we're seeking the Lord. So ask the Lord, Lord, give me a passion to be talking to you. Fasting. Uh, you know, uh, uh, one of my favorite books or on fasting is uh, Hunger for God by John Piper. And um, I love it because I, I think he does probably the best job I've ever seen of somebody expositing uh, passages to help me understand, like, why we fast. And in and, and a nutshell, is, is like a lot of times we think of fasting as, it's, oh, I want something here, so I'll do this, and it'll get me that. And that's very unbiblical. Okay? We don't fast what we do not have. The Bible teaches we fast what we do have, and we want it even more. We fast because we already have Jesus, and we just want him more. Very different. Fasting and, uh, through foods, uh, asking the Holy Spirit to allow you to take those times and those hunger pains to lead you to prayer, to lead you to uh, service and evangelism, to lead you to, to, to gospel-centered um, Activity. I don't know if you guys have ever fasted. I, I encourage you. Uh, it's a time of trusting the Lord. Please, if you fast, the goal isn't to make it through the day without food. That's not the goal. The goal is to worship God. Maybe you limit the gifts you buy. You know, maybe maybe we we don't we don't jump around like Oprah and them. You know, in Walmart, ah! you know, we don't, maybe we, we limit the gifts we buy our kids, you know what I'm saying? So we don't, 
buy all this stuff. Maybe you say, well, I'm just going to get two or three gifts. I know who, who do I, oh, I think it's, is it UE? You got to do like, they do, they do like three gifts to represent like the, uh, the, the Magi. To even make spend time telling your kids, like, why you give gifts? Do you even know why you got, why you, why you doing gifts? Like, like, ask, ask the Lord, is your, is your, is your, is your Christmas celebration, is it redemptive? Like, are you doing things that are just, are you, are you explaining? Are you taking things and saying, hey, here's, here's why we want to do it, and you're allowing the gospel to be seen in it? Are we doing that much mental gymnastics, or are we kind of lazy? No, I just want to just get my stuff. I, I, I pray, and we'll ask the Lord, if I'm doing this and we don't know why, let's ask the Lord, why are we doing this? And let's start making it gospel-centered so our kids and people can see this is why we're trying to, we're trying to learn to do it this way. We give gifts because we want to retell the story of the Magi. Or, I don't know, like, think through it. Think through how the Lord wants you to do that. Uh, be strategic. Take the break to energize yourself. I mean, here's the thing. Our body, you guys serve like crazy. You guys are unbelievable. I always tell I think the Lord has provided us the best people. <laughs> I mean, it's no competition, man, but I love our body. I just think you guys are unbelievable. And you serve without no one knowing, and you're just, you're, you're just tenacious, and you're, you're serious, and you're passionate about Jesus. And sometimes our body, I think, gets really tired because you serve all the time. And take this time to just kind of rest, maybe. Just to rest and enjoy Jesus and just refocus yourself on why you're doing what you're doing. Recalibrate yourself, you know. And it's that some spiritual disciplines. I, spiritual disciplines, are the, I would propose to you, are the hardest things for us because they're spiritual disciplines. Um, Satan does not want you to read your Bible. He does not want you to pray. He does not want you to fellowship. He does not want you to share your faith. Because all those things are, are steroids to our growth, are steroids to our trust in Christ. He does not want you to become and live a life of faith as a man or woman of God. And so guess what? That's why whenever you want to pray there, you always think about that Oreo cookie, you know, or you know, something crazy happens in your mind. There's always some reason why you don't engage in, in, in spiritual disciplines, and you, we need to fight that, and we need to commit and say, Lord, I'm not, I'm not going to just do it when my heart feels right because you'll never do it. But say, Lord, you've called me. You've said, so by faith, I'm reading your word. I'm not sensing anything right now. I actually, in fact, Lord, feel like you're far from me, but I'm going to continue to engage your word because you are true and the world is a liar. And that's the sign of maturity, is when you do things when you don't feel like it. Hey, uh, we're going to have a time of tithe. Um, tithe and offering. I want this last one here. Um, this is a biggie. We, we have people in our body... Um, I want us to really consider the biggest thing you can probably do over the break is assess your character. You know, some of us just haven't, we just haven't jumped in. We, we're still like surfing, we're still kind of on the outskirts, and you haven't really plugged into Jesus. Um, I want to ask you to really assess your character and, and ask the Lord, like, what's your deal? Like, what is it, you know, if, maybe you plugged in, but you're super prideful. Maybe some of you guys, and let me, I'll make sure there's no talking, because I want to make sure you hear this. Maybe some of you guys, you know, have, like, really judgmental spirits. You know, some, some cats, like, have this sense of, like, they have the, the, the corner of market of approval. Have you ever been around people like that? Like, like they, they, like, look at you, and then they are almost, like, sizing you up if they need to approve of you or not. 
very judgmental spirits. Like, like you know, if that's, if that's, ask the Lord to deal with those character issues. If there's pride, if there's passivity in your life. Ask the Lord to take this time to be honest about and do an inventory check on like, where am I adding value to the kingdom and where am I a life taker? And ask the Lord to do some work in our hearts so when we come back, we'll be more advantageous for Jesus. If you're new, we ask that you would um, put your wallets to the side, your purse to the side. We're not uh, trying.